Yeah, uh, Raleen, what are you up to? I'm tweeting. Right. Well, that ridiculous Adam Reeks and his hard mentality pod thingy, it's its all up to 50 episodes. 50. Are you joking, Ray? No. 50, 50 episodes? episodes of ridiculousness. Does this oh. deserve some sort of Grammy? Some sort of Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> What's a Grammy? Is that like a Grammy? <laughs> Look, send him a couple of tweets. Dear Adam, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, well, you never reply to his tweets. He tweets you every day saying, hi, Ray. You never reply. All right. Send he him. reply <laughs> to you. Just send him one back that says, uh, hi, Adam. Now, bugger off. All right. At Adam Riggs. Hi. Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, at Adam Reeks on Twitter, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality podcast, the 50th episode. There were some people who said they couldn't do it. And when they say they, I, they mean me. It happened. I'm as surprised as you all are. And with me down the line, I have Gus Holwerder. And Gus, your Twitter, rarely used, but when it is used, it's genius. You typically suggest people go to the Twitter handle at Unbelievers Film. Gus, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. It's a pleasure. And you are the director of The Unbelievers Film with Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. That's right. I was lucky enough to uh, follow them around the world for a couple of months last year. Golly gosh. Where are some of the places? Well, firstly, firstly, let's drag it back. Where are you from? Uh, well, currently I'm based in Phoenix, Arizona in the U.S., but uh, we do a lot of work, well, everywhere, L.A., New York, Phoenix, and uh, around the world when the project calls for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Just really quickly, where were some of the places you went to in the film? We spent quite a bit of time in the film, actually, in Australia. Um, Sydney Opera House, we were in uh, the Melbourne Convention Centre for a global atheist meet-up there, and, uh, and uh, as well as Canberra. Uh, let's see, geez, where else did we go? We went to the Royal Society in London. We went to the National Mall in Washington, D.C. for the Reason Rally that happened. Uh, some time in New York on the Colbert Show, and, uh, uh, geez, Phoenix, California, um, the, the places are escaping me now. We interviewed Tim Minchin in Wales, so uh, we've been around for this film. It's been great. Yeah, right. Tim Minchin, he's from Perth in Australia. Yeah, you know, to be honest, <laughs> I didn't know who Tim Minchin was until the Reason Rally. And between the time we shot at the Reason Rally and the time we got to interview him, I became the biggest Tim Minchin fan in the entire world. And so when I met him and I got to interview him and spend time with him, it was... Uh, probably the highlight of the film it, it, one of the highlights i mean i will say that uh, spending time with richard dawkins and lawrence cross is pretty neat too but uh, uh tim minchin was awesome as was ricky gervais as was woody allen a lot of great people in the film it's been great yeah wow you've got a very long cast list for this one 
Yeah, you know, there, there is a big list. I will say, though, that the main focus of the film is definitely Richard and Lawrence and kind of their time together on the road, you know, being, as we like to call them, rock stars for science. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the interviews we did with Richard, or I'm sorry, with um, Ricky Gervais and um, Sarah Silverman, Cameron Diaz, and all the other folks, it was more kind of like bookends for the film. You know, they show up a little bit and, and kind of sh- say how interested they are in science and how interested they are in these ideas. But the movie is really the meat and potatoes of it is, is Richard and Lawrence traveling the world, showing us what it's like to be backstage with them, you know, um, because they are, they are, they are rock gods when it comes to science, when it comes to uh, secular ideas. Absolutely. One of the things uh, that that is being advertised as part of the film propaganda, if we can say such a thing, mm-hmm. is that uh, you have the world's top thinker on the show, and I'm curious as to how you got Ray Comfort involved. <laughs> well, we were buying bananas. <laughs> That's and, the uh, first step, yes. Yeah, exactly. Then uh, it became all about fisticuffs, but we leave that part out. <laughs> now, uh, good old Ray Comfort, wow. Yes, well, <laughs> tune into the show, you'll hear more. But uh, the world's top thinker was actually Richard Dawkins. Yeah. You know, it's. I think that actually that article came out after we had done most of our filming with Richard. During the time we were with him, he was finishing up the first part of his autobiography. And we hadn't, you know, obviously read it yet. But my favorite parts of this film are the parts where Richard kind of reveals those little moments of his life. You know, I, I was amazed there's a, there's a scene on a train in london between um, london and slough where richard talks about you know uh, how really he doesn't have a problem with telling people that everything they believe is rubbish because someone did that to him and it actually opened his eyes you mm. know it actually made him sit up and think you know what maybe everything i believe is rubbish and i should think a little harder about these things and it did change his mind so i think little moments like that are really telling um, about Richard's personality and how, you know, why he is the way he is and how he, how he acts around people in these situations. Yeah, and, and while Richard is a, a leader in the movement, he is a human being. And a lot of the people who are the major speakers on behalf of atheism and the, the thinking behind it, such as like Matt Dillahunty, for example, he was, a, he was a training to be a priest or a pastor or something for, mm-hmm. for a very 20-odd years, mm-hmm. and it was a debate that tipped him over the edge, and he said, well, hang on a sec, maybe this is not correct. Hmm. Yeah, I think everybody comes from a different place, and I think Lawrence, Lawrence has the, uh, the view of, you know, let a, let a thousand flowers bloom and try all kinds of different approaches. You know, his approach is more of a comedy, you know, uh, seduce them in with, with maybe humor or wit, um, where Richard, I think, is viewed as being a little bit more clinical, a little bit more harsh and, and scientific. But I also think a lot of his reputation for those characteristics comes from something of a, of a, of a translation gap. You know, I mean, in the U.S., people view most Brits as being strident and uh, and holier than thou, just because of the way they feel. You know, Americans feel like they're being talked down to by Brits, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think a lot of that is really unfair because Richard is really just an amazing and warm guy. I mean, having spent time with him and backstage and you know during sound checks, Richard is a lot of people may not know this, but he recites poetry as part of his sound check. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, to, I've, we've heard him recite some really amazing poetry, and uh, it kind of became, after a while, it became one of those things you look forward to on the road, you know, when you're spending mm. time with these guys. What, what poem is Richard going to surprise us with today? And I'd like to think that he says, uh, welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic <laughs> weekly... That's not quite poetry. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sure um, he would do it if you asked him. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions that did occur to me is you're proposing, or you're putting forward a film that is about non-belief, 
And how would you perhaps distinguish this and uh, differentiate it from, say, Bill Maher's Religious? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, to be honest, you know, the movie didn't have a title when we started. It wasn't called The Unbelievers. We just knew that we wanted to follow them around. And we kind of originally thought the film was going to be, you know, half science, half atheism, because you know, they, they, they go out and they, when, when you're with Richard and Lawrence, even when the cameras aren't rolling and when they're not on stage, they talk about science all day long. You know, that, that's their life. That's their bread and butter. That's what they love. And those conversations are amazing. But it, there's no way around the fact that they are most well known for their talking about atheism. And, and, and they get a lot of questions about that. You know, whenever there's a Q&A, that's what all the questions are about. Very rarely are they about science. Hmm. And so after a while, the movie just kind of started evolving into this project where it was essentially all about, you know, atheism and, and non-belief. And the difference between this movie and Bill Maher's movie, which, which I love and, you know, which was an inspiration for this, Richard and Lawrence, again, we wanted to capture this idea that they were kind of rock stars for science. You know, Bill Maher's a comedian, and he's a great comedian, and he's a good entertainer, and he, and he, did, a, he did a very different kind of thing. We essentially wanted to make a rock and roll tour film where we just we saw what it was like to go backstage, to be on an airplane, and then, you know, to do a gig, and then go back to the room and have a few minutes to have a drink at the bar, and then, you know, again, the next day they're falling asleep on the plane. And, <laughs> and we wanted to show that what it's really like to, to be those guys and to be on the road. And, you know, um, Richard and Lawrence work hard, you know, mm. and they're not, they're not young guys. They're out there working really hard to promote these ideas and to get people to think. And that's what we wanted to capture. We, ju- we wanted to show them at this moment in their lives doing those things, working that hard and, and, and trying to achieve something. Mm. Off the record, I would love to have Lawrence Krauss on and not discuss a single atheist thing. I would just love to know more about <laughs> dark matter, dark energy, how, you know, what the latest is on it, but hear him speak because he's a talented speaker. And yeah. um, we're obviously both... Uh, Star Trek fans, so there's, yeah, there's yeah. so much to, to delve into there. You know, it's funny, I mean, again, off the record, I guess, if Lawrence, you know, lives here in Phoenix um, most most of the time. Yeah, I'm a huge Star Trek fan as well, and <laughs> he, every time I bring up Star Trek, <laughs> he just doesn't want to talk about it. it. It's like he would rather talk about science, he would rather talk about atheism. I think he feels like it's, it's a little too... Um, a little too fluffy to talk about science fiction shows, but uh, maybe I just haven't got them on the right day. But, but perhaps, um, but what Star Trek does and what science fiction does is inspire people to ask questions. And it's the, sort of the catalyst to, to get into this sort of stuff. So anyone who hasn't watched Star Trek, I'm not talking about the new movies. Mm-hmm, I'm talking right. about the real stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Check yeah. it out. It's awesome. You mentioned a little off-air earlier about some of the responses you've had to the film. So you've had several screenings. A few thousand people would have seen this film by now. What were some of the responses? Well, we've had quite a few screenings, yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be able to estimate how many people. I mean, we've shown it literally all over the world in English and, and non-English speaking countries, mainly as part of film festivals or, or science festivals. It sounds so self-serving to say, but the response has been nothing but positive. I mean, we, we, we show it to large audiences and, again, maybe friendly audiences. You know, it's it's hard to know who's coming. But the reaction that we get after the film is never anything but congratulations and smiles and people telling us how much they loved it. And that's just been 
the most rewarding thing I mean we could have ever imagined. I mean, it, we were most mainly worried about the fans. We were mainly worried about people who like Richard and Lawrence, and you know, there's other people in the movie too. Sam Harris appears, uh, Dan Dennett, Ian Hersey Ali. There's other people that that appear and speak in the movie as well. Um, but obviously, it's mainly about Richard and Lawrence and their Tom, friendship. Tom Cruise? Does Tom Cruise make Tom an appearance? Cruise, we tried to get him. Mm, yes, <laughs> he, I threatened to, he threatened to sue. <laughs> I think his minders wouldn't have allowed him out on day release. Yeah, yeah. That was a joke, by the way. Tom Cruise is not going to say But, uh, but you know, the reaction has been great. I mean, you know, we, we did a screening. We did a test screening in Phoenix uh, to about 3,000 people. And, you know, we did flyers and questionnaires and everything. And we asked people, first of all, how religious they were and uh, a bunch of other questions. But one of the most amazing things we noticed uh, on the questionnaires and the flyers was the more religious the person was, the more likely they were to recommend this film to their family and friends. Now, it's hard to know exactly why. I mean, a lot of the cards had comments and so on that said, you know, things like, you know, this movie helps me to understand why my son feels the way he does, you know, or mm. or um, why my friend doesn't believe so in that way, again, very, very rewarding and um, surprising as well that they were the most likely to recommend the movie and to see it again also. Mm. again, Part of the movie is extracts of debates mm-hmm. from, say, Richard Dawkins and Cardinal Pell. How did that integrate into the film? Well, again, you know, when the film came up and we kind of pitched the idea to Lawrence and Richard, they coincidentally, to some extent, already had a book tour planned uh, through Australia and then back zigging and zigging and zagging back through, you know, New York and, and other places. But the pitch was, look, we'll just follow you around. We'll be a fly on the wall. You won't know we're there. And so we kind of just got what we got. And it just so happened that uh, the Q&A with, with Pell happened at that time. Lawrence debated um, a Muslim group in Canberra, I believe. And then a number of events, you know, different schools in in universities in Australia and other places. We knew going into it that that's what we were going to be getting. But, you know, we kind of figured if you're you're doing like a rock and roll documentary about U2 or about the Rolling Stones, you want to show some of their greatest hits. You want to show them on stage performing, but you also want to see the backstage. You want to see the extra bits. And that was really our model was, to again, to make like a rock and roll movie. My brother, Luke, who is the director of photography on the film, we do everything together. One of his favorite movies and one of mine is is a movie about Radiohead called Meeting People is Easy. And it's a really underappreciated appreciated and underrated uh, rock documentary which basically follows Radiohead for uh, an entire tour and just shows how it wears on them and how how they just change as people from the beginning of that tour to the end and that was kind of what we wanted to see we wanted to see if it was if it was like being a rock star what these guys are doing and what we learned was that it it in very many ways is the same kind of thing well then i have to ask what about the groupies? You know, <laughs> it is funny because uh, a lot of people ask us about the groupies. And I will admit that Richard and Lawrence have a lot of fans and they have a lot of, uh, of surprisingly uh, young and attractive fans who are very interested. But uh, both men are complete gentlemen and uh, are, 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 are great. I will say that some of the crew on the film, however, wasn't so scrupulous. And they were willing to uh, utilize their connections with uh, Richard and Lawrence to um, make new friends. Right. Well, that's exactly the way I'm using this podcast, just uh, between you and me. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit about your background. You came from a religious family. How did that pan out? <laughs> well, um, I came from a religious family. I mean, I have uncles and aunts who are missionaries in Ethiopian countries and trying to convert everyone to, you know, the good Jesus ways of life. 
Personally, I mean, I, I, I was made to go to church all the time, but I, I was the guy who would sneak out and go play piano in the uh, practice rooms of the church while everyone else was attending the service. So while I was exposed to it my entire life, I, I never really significantly believed in any of it. I mean, you know, it was like a splinter in the back of my mind for a long time. And then I think probably in my, in my late 20s, I decided uh, I can just get rid of that splinter. I don't even need it there anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and I think a lot. I think that kind of thing happens to a lot of people these days. Was there a, a particular point where you reached that revelation? Is there is there a memorable moment? I wish I could say there was, but honestly, I think the memorable moment was just going. You know what? I haven't actually thought about that in so long. It must not be that important. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And here you are now. One of the questions I had formulated beforehand. Spent a lot of time thinking about it. Worked on a pun. The sequel to The Unbelievers, which you've announced, being The Unbelievers, uh, how's that going so far? <laughs> I would make that movie if I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm top my show notes here say that you've got Lindsay Lohan cast as uh, Justin Bieber. Is this true? <laughs> I uh, can neither confirm nor deny that <laughs> until we get the paperwork signed. That's exactly what I want to hear. You know, it's funny, though, we do get asked a lot, surprisingly a lot, considering this movie is not even out yet, if we're going to make a sequel. Believe it or not, we've actually put some thought into that. I, you know, there's a lot of people that I think would be just as fun to follow around as Richard <laughs> Lawrence. I mean, I think Sam Harris would be great. I think, you know, oh, yes. Ricky, uh, when we interviewed him for the movie... Uh, and he kind of got an idea of what was going on with it. He's like, you know, this is the kind of thing I would like to do. I would like to do something like this. And I, I was like, man, we'll we'll do another one of these. But have, Believe have me. a think about what you would get out of that. It'd just be him going around having a look at cats, pointing at cats, and going, no, no, God, there, there's a cat. Yeah, I, it's I love Ricky's Twitter feed because I, I have a Siamese cat as well. So I always show my cat Ricky's videos. Probably the most pressing question is, when can we see this film? It is a pressing question, and I, I wish I had an answer to give you right now as an exclusive, but uh, the truth is, um, we the movie has been um, handed off to distributors. We've made a deal for a global distribution, but uh, that means it's in their ballpark now. It means it's in, it's in their court, and we are waiting just as much as everyone else to see when they plan to release it. We do know that they've made deals in many countries for uh, iTunes, Netflix, DVD, Blu-ray distribution. Uh, we know the deals have been made, but when the actual release dates are, we are hoping, sincerely hoping, to know very, very soon. I mean, we believe me, we, we want nothing more than to tell the world the movie is coming on mm. X day. Sounds a little bit religious. And uh, here's an <laughs> epistemological question. Mm. So several thousand people have experienced this film. How do we actually know that it exists? <laughs> we I don't know if it's you, but we have quite a few people online uh, who are taunting us saying that they don't believe the movie exists. <laughs> All I can say is uh, the trailer exists, and so, you know, there's something out there. But uh, it will be coming soon, and um, it is playing right now, actually. Um, well, we're doing a, we're doing a limited tour uh, at the moment, which m- may very well include more dates to be added in the future. But right now, uh, April 2nd, 3rd, and 7th, we're playing it in San Diego, Las Vegas, and uh, Columbus, in that order. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard and Lawrence will both be there. Um, Penn Jillette, who appears in the film at one point, will also be there at the at the Las Vegas screening to do a Q&A. And the filmmakers, I- I'll be there, and my brother Luke. And, Is he going to make um, an elephant disappear while he's about I- I wonder. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to ask him if he can make Richard Dawkins disappear and uh, bring him back as Ray Comfort. But we'll see. <laughs> Of the 
And then we're going to hand out bananas to the audience and see if they'll throw them. That'll do the job. <laughs> That's convincing. Very well. Well, Gus, I very much appreciate you taking the time to come and have a chat with us here on the Third Rate Herd Mentality podcast. And all the best with the film. And when you come to Australia, I would very much like you to buy me a beer. Absolutely, sir. And thank you for having <laughs> me on your 50th show. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, take care. All the best. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Hello? Yeah. Hello? It's questionable Adam here via subspace link now that the Syrians have perfected their time machine. The year is 2073 and I'm still doing this ridiculous podcast, but now I do it standing in a cardboard box outside a supermarket, reading chapters from Joel Osteen's book, whilst people point and laugh at me for not having white enough teeth. Religion still exists, and it's worse now than ever before because we have seven popes. North Korea is now an Islamic nation, and Russia has just allowed homosexuals to drive hoverboards for the first time. A lack of critical thinking has hamstrung our planet, especially Tibet, which is now completely submerged due to global warming. But you can help. In the last 40 years, the show has managed to raise over 37 bitcoins when accounting for inflation. The logs show that in the year 2013, less than one half of 1% of the listeners donated to support the show. You can change this. With additional funding, the show can reach a wider audience. My past self will be able to earn an honest dollar and donate 10% of the proceeds to Kiva.org to improve the lives of others. It'll also allow me to buy a new cardboard box today. Head to herdmentalitypodcast.com and click the support tab at the top of the page. It's possible to set up a recurring payment each month of $2, $5, 10 whatever you feel is reasonable in return for the enjoyment you gain from the show. This show is as much for you as it is for me, by a person, for the people. Past questionable Adam and present day questionable Adam, thank you very much. And with your support, we can rewrite history. With me down the line, I have at I'm That Atheist. Without the apostrophe, her name is Crystal. Crystal, hello. Hello. You've posted some interesting stuff, got my attention, and you. you're here now. Yes. Where are you from? Okay, I am from Georgia in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. That's not far from No Illusions from the Scathing Atheist podcast. Right, and I have listened to a couple of those. Um, it's interesting you know, listening to other people who are not from the Bible Belt. And um, it wasn't until I joined Twitter uh, about a year ago that I realized it wasn't like this everywhere else. So <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> Your story's an interesting one. There's a lot to it. So what's, in essence, what's it all about? As far as the atheist side of it goes, I grew up in a very religious um, household, and it was also very abusive. And a lot of times, scripture from the Bible was used to sort of justify a lot of the things that, that went on in my household. Basically, my family were Seventh-day Adventist, if you're familiar, mm -hmm. which is basically just a cult. <laughs> and they were very strict, and we went to a, a small church. I was one of three girls, the youngest, and um, everybody in my family was extremely religious. If they weren't Seventh-day Adventist, they were Baptist. So really, it's just extreme religion from there. And it was just all I ever knew, you know, from growing up in a church um, and seeing how everybody kind of lived the same way I did. And it was kind of common to have the kind of history that I have. So your history, th there's two things. There's the history of your abuse and there's right. the project you've set up to talk about it. So 
Let's cover off the first one. What was the nature of the abuse? When I was born, my father went to, to prison, and um, by the time he got out, he was a pretty angry, violent man, and he kind of took it out on me and my sisters, but mainly me. It was from day one. I was five when he got out, and it began then. Um, it was sexual from the first, and it was not just, you know, touching. Um, I was raped when I was five, so... Um, that was sort of where it started, and it was it just never slowed down from there. Uh, I was abused, um, beaten. Um, I was told I was ugly and worthless and useless, stupid, that nobody would ever help me, that I didn't matter, that he had a right to do it. Uh, and a lot of times, he would, like I said, he would use scripture mm. to do it. Um, well, that, that's a God a lot of complex times, right there. I was having yeah. a chat with somebody yesterday, in fact. Uh, who said, no, it's perfectly okay for God to create the world and then drown everybody in it. Right. What a revolting idea. And I the, I said, that sounds a little bit Austrian basement to me, to you know, be in control of something you created who also has free will. Right. Well, you know, in some way, I guess, you know, he saw that head of household, man, I own this woman and these children, and it is given to me in Scripture that I own you. And he, you know, he pointed it out plenty of times, you know, slavery concubine lot and his daughters basically you know i was his and i had to do what he told me and if i told anyone i was going to go to hell that's basically when i started realizing okay this just doesn't seem right Mm. how long was the abuse how many years um well it was like i said five until i was about 17 when i moved in with a friend of mine i was still in school I was still in high school. I was a senior getting ready to graduate. And I just sort of realized, you know, I don't have to do this anymore. And I found a friend who said I could come and stay with her for the remaining time in my high school. And I wouldn't have to live there anymore. And that's that's how I got out. Wow. So it was a very long time. You're surprisingly chipper for what you've <laughs> gone through. Well, I've gone through a lot. And I've watched my two older sisters as they struggled with the same thing. Now, I don't know how extensive the abuse is because for some reason, it, there's a stigma attached to it that you're not allowed to talk about it, even among people who are suffering from the exact same thing from the exact same abuser. Are, like are your siblings. sisters religious? Uh, yes. Both of my sisters are extremely religious. Uh, everybody in my family is. In fact, I am the only atheist I've ever met born and raised in Georgia. Wow. So I've never met anyone else. Um, I've met, you know, like I've met people on Twitter. Um, I've met some people who are living here from the UK. So I've met some atheists that way, but but no one ever from the South. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Have you spoken to anyone professionally? Yes, I've been to counseling. There were times I went through a lot of depression. I tried antidepressants. I've gone through a lot. When I was a lot younger, I used to drink a lot. I don't know, maybe it was to cover up how I felt about everything or, or whatever, but, you know, it didn't really help me. So I, you know, there's alcoholism in my family. So I just sort of put it down and I never touched it again. And that's just sort of the kind of personality I have is I'm able to just walk away and say, I don't want that. That's not part of me. And I realized, you know, there's so much inside of me that wants to help other people. And what better way to use what happened to me than to help 
other people who are maybe going through the same thing or maybe have gone through the same thing and are struggling with it, maybe a little more than I have, because I've come a long way. Yes, you have. Thank you. From here, you've set up a a blog to discuss Mm -hmm. your experiences. Right. Where can that be found? You can look on my bio in my Instagram or Instagram, Twitter, and they're all under the same name. It's called um, anniesmama.blog.com. I don't have the domain yet, but I do plan to buy it. It'll be called The um, Melting Pot of Life. And I'll basically be covering the project for raising awareness for child abuse. And I'll also be covering some other things like being an atheist in the South, uh, being an atheist single mom, being um, an atheist in a religious family, uh, that sort of thing. Mm. So I'll be covering a lot of topics there. But, but that's where my project is right now. How do you define an abused child? Well, basically, there's a lot of things. You know, abuse can be just neglecting the child, uh, neglecting their needs, or violence. A lot of times now, here in the South, it's it's pretty accepted for uh, kids to be spanked and that sort of thing. So there's a fine line there. And basically, if a child is given discipline that they're not able to process, if they're not, if it's just so extreme, they're not able to process it, they're not able to connect it with positive behavior, then to me, you're crossing the line. You know, um, a lot of times they'll act out, they'll be withdrawn, they'll go inside themselves. And that could be from telling the child, you're so, you're bad, or you're, you're useless, or, you know, I've, I don't know how many times I've heard parents just, you know, tell their kid to shut up and then slap them around. I mean, it's commonplace here in the South. I don't know what it's like anywhere else, but, but here people see that and they turn their head. Hmm. It's cultural. Yeah, I, I do believe it is. You yeah. know, it's very easily here, justified actually, with the Bible. Yeah, and around here, you're actually shamed if you don't spank your children. You know, you're shamed if you don't take them to church or talk about God or, you know, they say spare the rod and spoil the child. And a lot of times I think, you know, that's horrible. It's a horrible thing to say, mm-hmm. but it's, it's said to me a lot because I don't spank my children. And a lot of times my children, I have four and they will say things to me that people would go, why would you let your child say that to you? Because a lot of times my children, I'll present something to my child that I expect them to do and they may have a counter argument. Mm-hmm. And around here, you're not allowed to speak unless you're spoken to. You're not allowed to argue with your parents. Um, but I, I welcome it because I like to keep open communication. I love questions. I love for kids to want to know why they have to do something or why they don't, they're not supposed to do something because it's important for them to understand. So around here, it's, it's kind of commonplace for someone to tell me, you know, why didn't you beat that child? And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> what a story. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. What lasting effects have you got personally from that um, 12 years? Well, I have nightmares, terrible nightmares every night. Um, I have trust issues a lot of times um, in relationships, personal relationships. And a lot of times I question myself as a parent because I want to keep boundaries and give the child privacy, give the child, you know, space and things like that. And sometimes I'm sitting here thinking, is this what a normal person is supposed to do? Because when you're abused, when you're raised that way, you always think of yourself as outside of everyone else. You never feel included. You never feel part of anyone else. 
And I get that double because not only am I, was I abused and I feel like I'm not the normal person, I'm also atheist. So all these other people come to me and they say, well, you know, now that you're open about your abuse, you know, you should go to church. You should find God. You should do this. You know, it'll make you feel better. And is going so, into a church the best way to avoid more sexual abuse? <laughs> Well, around here, and it's really odd because, you know, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you guys were talking about um, altar boys and, you know, Catholicism and stuff like that. And around here, being Catholic is something we don't understand. To us, that's just something those other people do, you know. (laughs) Um, We are the Protestants. We are the wackadoos, the snake handlers, the... (laughs) We're the crazy people. Come to the South just once. <laughs> oh, look, it's it's on my bucket list. I'd love to go to the U.S. just to see one of Joel Osteen's presentations or teeth oh. or Pastor John Hagee and see him get all worked up to the point where he's about to have an aneurysm about oh, why homosexuals are bad yeah. and so forth. I think that would be a hilarious. fascinating... Well, yeah, it's hilarious, but a fascinating <laughs> experience because being subjected to that sort of stuff day in, day out, as the people in that area are, wow, what an impact. Well, around here, um, that's just so common. I mean, we're we're so strange here in the South when it comes to religion, creation, all of that stuff. It's, it's so funny because I had a, a visitor here who's on Twitter as well, and he's from Wales, and he's never been to the South. So he comes here, and there's a church down the road. And these churches, these people, they believe in uh, creationism. Uh, some of them will tell you that dinosaurs never even existed. That that was a false, that was put there by scientists to trick you into believing evolution and all of this, right? Well, these are the same people who will put up a giant inflatable dinosaur in front of the church for Halloween. And you're wondering, but you don't even believe in dinosaurs. Why do you have this giant dinosaur in front of your church, but they're because, real because they believe in witches, and witches <laughs> exist, and thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Exactly. <laughs> but it's this big secrecy thing, you know. They had this room, and it said Jurassic Smarts, and it had dinosaur like dinosaur bone pictures, you know, out in front of the door. And this was for the children. This was a class for the children. And we were talking. We were like, "What are they telling these children in this place?" But that's the way it is around here. Wow. So how should people reach out to you if they'd like to connect? Well, um, I check the hashtag several times a day um, called This is the Face of Child Abuse, um, all together, one hashtag. And they can also find my blog. um, And on my blog, which is in my bio, I have an email there. um, But it's called This is the Face of Child Abuse at gmail.com. And if they send me a photo of them now or as a child, um, and I like to have it to where they don't look like the typical stereotype of, of child abuse because I'm trying to raise awareness and kind of break that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also their story. And I will post it. Um, I'm pretty good about posting it pretty much same day as they send it out. So, um, And I will post it on my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and I just hope that we can just shine a light on this and help kids What I want is for the next generation of children to not be afraid and to have a place to go and maybe some programs set up to help them. That is admirable stuff. So if there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Thank you so much. 
A pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, not really. It was interesting talking to you, and I've never done a podcast before, so I was really nervous. Neither, neither <laughs> have I. You, <laughs> we're in it together. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you ever have time or space again in the future, I'd love to come back. You'd be most welcome. Thank we'll you. speak to you then. Take care. All the best. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Do you occasionally suffer from bouts of rationality, cognizance, and literacy? Are you constantly baffled by the failure of your fellow hominids to comprehend simple principles like evidence, statistical significance, confirmation bias, and logic? Do your jaws ache from constantly holding your tongue in polite company? Do you find yourself tempted to stand on tables and scream, The Bible also says rabbits chew their cud! That's not an allegory and I'm not reading it out of context, you frothing nincompoops! It's just wrong! Well, then we have the book for you. The Scathing Atheist Presents Diatribes, Volume 1, 50 Essays from a Godless Misanthrope. This collection of epic rants was painstakingly chosen as the 50 best diatribes presented on the Scathing Atheist podcast out of the first 50. It's as effective against headaches as homeopathy, as accurate at predicting the future as astrology, more powerful than a power band bracelet, more efficient than a dousing rod, and more potent than prayer. So look for it at an online ebook retailer near you or find it at scathingatheist.com. Diatribes, Volume 1, 50 Essays from a Godless Misanthrope by No Illusions. Claims in this ad have not been evaluated by the FDA. Ebooks may be harmful or fatal if swallowed. If you experience an erection lasting more than four hours, you must be doing something right. Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me, I have Ben Baz Aziz, who is, oh, wow, one of the reasons we do what we do. And Ben, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome, sir. It's my pleasure. You're in Egypt, but you are yes. a Kuwaiti. No, I'm Egyptian. Ah, okay, but you were imprisoned in Kuwait. Yeah, I was uh, present in Kuwait, and because I was uh, born and raised and worked also in Kuwait. Right. So I, I spent my whole life in Kuwait. Okay, and you've just been deported back to Egypt two months ago. Exactly. Tell me why you went to prison. Actually, um, uh, I had a blog, which is binbazbazblogspot.com. I was uh, writing, uh, writing articles about atheism and uh, secularism and uh, separation between state and religion. I had some articles about criticizing religion and uh, the religious thinking. You're also like uh, raising the topics like the rights of LGBT and rights of minorities, like people without national uh, without citizenship in Kuwait. So um, I was also working at a PR in the Kuwaiti Center of, uh, for Active Citizenship. I was also a writer at I Think Magazine and presenter at Arab Atheist Broadcasting, which is uh, podcasted online. So uh, what happened is uh, the National Security of Kuwait uh, reported my blog to the CID department, accusing me of uh, atheism and uh, pushing people to leave Islam to uh, atheism. That's wh- uh, That was the, the letter between uh, National Security and um, CID. Then uh, the CID arrested me on uh, 31 of December 2012 they told me that uh, you're arrested and you should come with us right now to start the investigation uh, once they started the, accusi- uh, the, um, the investigation with me uh, they didn't even allow me to have a lawyer uh, to defend all those uh, accusations and they told me that you are accused of uh, blasphemy and um, spreading uh, secularism and pushing people to leave Islam and mocking uh, our Islamic religion. These were uh, the, the main accusations that were stuck to me. You were in prison for one year. Wow. How was that? What was that like? Actually, uh, it was really, really hard. You can't imagine uh, being in jail for one year for victimless crime. 
<laughs> I, I didn't even commit a crime. And I didn't deserve to be sentenced even for one day. Cause then spending uh, one year and uh, I was 27 and I, I get after. Uh, and once I finished, I, I'm now 28. Uh, it's something that you feel that it's really horrible. Uh, staying in, in filthy place with, with some psychos and some uh, psychopathic people who may treat you very badly because you're an atheist. Also, you tried hard in, in your trials to uh, to relieve uh, the sentence to make it, let's say, six months or to try to get any uh, reduction in, 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 your, in the period. And no one listened to you and uh, all my trials to... Uh, to get uh, a, redu- a reduction in the period uh, was uh, declined. So what happened is I spent the whole year and they uh, deported me back uh, after uh, the jail. I spent one year and 45 days only to deport me to Egypt. So it was a very hard period. Uh, uh, my whole trial was injustice. The first judge didn't even allow me to come to attend the trial. And the second judge in the court of appeal was very religious man. And he, he asked me one question that's still sticking in my, in my mind. He, he asked me, how can you dare to insult our holy religion? That, that was an unfair judge. How can a Muslim judge me? How can someone who's really religious uh, uh, judge and, and, uh, and sentence me for one year? You know, it was a just uh, trial. Yeah. I mean, we, we hear this in the papers and the, in the news sources all the time. And one year, in comparison to some of the other sentences, is not a long time. Some people get death. Yes, actually, yes. Some people may get uh, death penalty, and uh, especially in Saudi Arabia, mm. because they are uh, applying the the law of Ridda, which is an Islamic verse. It says that uh, who changes his religion, kill him. Yeah, they are applying the that Islamic concept, but in Kuwait and other uh, countries, they are using some kind of softer laws. Uh, also in Afghanistan, I guess, and 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 uh, and such countries. Uh, you can be, uh, you can get uh, death penalty. One year, I think it was maybe one of the softest uh, sentences that have been done to to a blasphemer, yeah. because actually uh, that's something horrible. I uh, when I was in the jail, there was two persons who were jailed also for the same. That's a question yeah. I wanted to ask you. Did you meet other people on the same charge, and did, what were they like? Uh, yeah, in Kuwait right now, uh, at this time, two persons. One, his name is uh, Hamad al-Naqi. Another one, his name is uh, Shamsa. Both of them are in jail now and are facing sentences between five years and, and ten years. Uh, I guess uh, Hamad al-Naqi uh, got ten years. Uh, and even the Court of Appeal assured that sentence and he's going to spend the whole 10 years in prison and the other one is 5 years uh, his name is Shamsa and if you want to just uh, look at what they, what they did Hamad al-Naki only, only write a, a tweet one tweet uh, saying that I just wonder about a prophet who spends his whole day having sex with Aisha and uh, he has also some filthy uh, friends like uh, uh, Osman and uh, Omar, I guess. So, uh, 
uh, they, they uh, accused him of blasphemy and put him in jail for 10 years. Can you imagine how can someone spend 10 years in, in jail for, for, <laughs> for one tweet, only That's one tweet? Crazy. I imagine so, how much time I would spend in jail <laughs> if they read my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and also, and also there is someone in Saudi Arabia now uh, maybe facing a very a horrible situation. His name is Raif Badawi. I guess uh, too much media now knows about him, but I wanted also to mention him because uh, he's really a close friend of mine. Uh, Raif Badawi is now in Saudi Arabia facing, maybe facing the, the Red Dalo. He might be killed, he might be sentenced for 10 years or more. I don't know what's going to happen to him. This is a very bad situation of people who just left Islam or, or changed their religion to another religion. Uh, it's a very horrible situation to, uh, to not allow them even to criticize. Because once you say someone is a blasphemer, this is not even, this description is vague. It's not clear. Uh, it's not uh, a clear uh, um, accusation because what's the meaning of blasphemer? Is that someone who insults? What's the meaning of, of insulting? Uh, is that someone who criticizes? What's the meaning of, of, of criticism? Mm. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not clear. So uh, if someone just talk about Islam or in, in, in any way, in a bad way or in a soft way or in a, in, in, in a moderate way, but he's not always praising Islam, they are going to, to, to consider him as a blasphemer. Mm. So this is really very bad situation. No, I understand. Blasphemy laws are uh, a disgrace. Yeah, because if you want even to, to, write, uh, to read the sentence of that law, for example, I was accused of blasphemy according to law number 111. That law says anyone who insults Islam or Islamic practices or any uh, holy book, for example, uh, should be penalized for one uh, year. What what meant of insulting here was mocking because mm. it was mocking. So uh, in the accusation paper they said because he uh, published sarcastic phrases and pictures about God and Prophet Ibrahim. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. not exclusive to Islam. Blasphemy laws are, are now in Russia and. Mm -hmm. Blasphemy is, it all came to a head at one point when a Danish cartoonist drew a picture of Muhammad. And mm -hmm. in the West, people are beginning to stand up about this. There's now websites where you can, there's a picture of Muhammad and you can put different clothes on him and make him look even more ridiculous. <laughs> Actually, uh, the picture that I, that I published online uh, describing Abraham once he wanted to kill his heart. And uh, this picture is published in millions of websites around the world. But once they saw it in my blog, because I'm in Kuwait and they can arrest me, so they didn't hesitate to arrest me and put me in jail for one year for, for only one picture and some articles. Uh, the articles that they accused me of blasphemy were basically talking about secularism. Mm. They just accused me for uh, four articles, the last four articles. Uh, they didn't even continue reading the, the whole blog. Maybe they, they were sentenced me for, for longer than that. But actually, the four last uh, articles in my blog basically are talking about secularism and freedom of speech. 
speech and freedom of religion in a secular country. And I was describing the situation also in the relig- uh, of religion in uh, in a secular in a secular country, and how a secular law can make a compromise between all those conflicting uh, religions, and uh, it's giving a power to mm. the freedom people and their own private choices without being forced to follow away or without being forced to uh, to obey to the uh, religious institution, uh, institutions. What are you doing to protect yourself now? Uh, actually, um, I was deported to Egypt a month ago. What happened is uh, I tried to, to keep writing, uh, but in a softer way. I focused on uh, writing in English. I'm, I'm writing for, for Atheist Ireland. I have wrote two articles for them, and I guess in the near future, I'm going also to write for International uh, Alliance of Atheists. That's because I may have some uh, risks uh, if, if I try to write in, in Arabic. Yeah. I stopped writing in articles, uh, Arabic articles, like a week ago because I was forced to to stop. Uh, my family uh, pushed me hard to stop that because they threatened me of uh, of calling the cops for me and oh, wow. uh, putting me in jail again. And actually, uh, some relatives uh, called uh, some people with authority to. Uh, forced me hard to stop writing and and doing uh, any activity online. So I stopped even um, participating with uh, Arab Atheist Broadcasting. Uh, the last episode I, I couldn't attend with them. Uh, actually, what I'm seeking now uh, is leaving here because uh, I can see that if I try to talk again or write, someone from the family of the, or from the extended family or from any acquaintances maybe may may going to report me because. Because uh, he considers me as a state who deserves to be uh, dead, so uh, I guess I have to lay down now. And I'm doing that now. This is really a big issue because we are talking about very increasing numbers of atheists uh, in the in the Arabic world. I can see now around or more than um, thirty thousand atheists on Facebook only. Very well. Ben, thank you very much for coming on the show. If there's anything I can do to help or promote something for you, please let me know. Your Twitter handle is at Ben Baz Aziz. All one word, B-E-N-B-A-Z-A-Z-I-Z. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Right. You stay safe. I'm so happy to talk. Thank you so much for uh, for your uh, interview. And uh, I hope that people around the world can hear my message. Hi there, boys and girls. It's Questionable Adam here from the year 2073. I'm contacting you via subspace link using Sirius Time Machine. In this alternate timeline, I was unable to get sufficient audience sponsorship from the show and had to resort to supplementing my income by offering my services in public restrooms. Hey, what are you doing in that cubicle? Yeah, excuse me, I won't be long. It's been 40 years and I've done some things that I'm not proud of. But you can help. Simply head to herdmentalitypodcast.com and click on the support tab. For as little as $2 or $5 a month, you can, you can help sustain a show that is by a person for the people. I won't be forced into a life of, well, whatever it is I'm doing right now. Jesus to a child. Past questionable Adam and present day questionable Adam. 
Thank you very much. It's all right, mate. What can I help you with? Ah, uh, what do I get before Bitcoin? Engage Dr. Dave Hawks. Ladies and gentlemen, down the line for a quick update on what's happening with the AVN in Australia, Mr. Hawks, how are you, sir? I'm not bad. The Australian Vaccination Network, or the, the artist formerly known as the Australian <laughs> Vaccination Network, has had probably one of the worst two weeks in their history, which is uh, excellent. Yeah, well, look, I'm a uh, round of applause. What's the short story? The short story was uh, in, I think it was December 2012, uh, one of the government acronyms, I, I think it was Fair Trading, found that their name was Deceptive Australian Vaccination Network. People thought that they would get information on vaccination rather than misinformation. So they got told to change it. It went through the courts and they lost. And they put this off for a couple of months. But as of March 6, I think it was, they changed their name to the Australian Vaccination Skeptics Network. That's good. There was a bad day for them because now they're sort of linked in with climate skeptics and things like that. Um, and then it got worse. Ooh. So then the HCCC, which is the Healthcare Complaints Commission, who uh, made a you know, did an investigation into them in 2009 and that went through the courts and the AVN got off because of a technicality. I won't go into it, but it was such a bad technicality that the New South Wales government changed it. And so the HCCC went, OK, good, we're on legal ground again. have done another investigation and sent in their report, uh, which looked through the, the AVN's website and found eight points they sort of highlighted that were, they thought, misleading and incorrect. Got three experts to write reports, sent it to the AVN or the AVSN. Mm-hmm. Now they have to uh, respond within 28 days and the HCCC is so confident that they're not going to respond in any meaningful way that they've already drafted a, a warning about the AVSN. Outstanding. And then it got worse. Oh, bring it. And so in the meantime, the they have a charity licence for fundraising, which means donations, I think, are tax-free or something. I, I can't remember the details, but they have a, they're registered charity. Mm-hmm. And the New South Wales government did an investigation. They found that there's not really any charitable works done. And so the... Uh, they said, could you give us a reason why you want the charity, you know, why you should keep it? And the AVSN just gave it up. So they've lost the charity status. And then it got worse um, because we've been talking about this to a number of uh, journos for a number of years about the finances. So the AVSN has taken in over $2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, that's $2 million Australian dollars. That's it's about $2 million more than I've taken in in my entire life. Yeah, they, their tithers are much more generous than your tithers. <laughs> Um, Pull your finger out, guys. Yeah. And so with the, with this $2 million, um, which they've raised for the purpose of... they Some they tried to raise for specific things about setting up a, a research project into vaccines or testing them for heavy metals, none of which was done. They've spent really nothing on charitable works, but we've got their accounts and there's some spectacular things. In 2003, 2004, they spent $39,000 on computers. <laughs> Now, at the most, there was three people working there, um, and I'm not sure they're the age group to be doing really high graphics LAN parties, so <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Plus, their website and internet and power expenses were separate. They spent $25 on a graphic designer one year for their magazine, which had three editions. Mm-hmm. Meryl Dory, the ex-president, paid herself about $5,000 an edition for editing those magazines, which when you put it into it is she paid herself 49% of the profit. 
that the magazines made. They had a hundred, I think it was 2010, they had their expenses and then they had $170,000 expenses as other. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's being investigated as well. So they've had a really bad week and I think it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. Um, and hopefully we'll we'll actually have these people no longer being included in the conversation because there are legitimate concerns about vaccines mm-hmm. and their side effects. And we've discussed this um, with, with Joe and Ra. Mm-hmm. And these people do nothing but spread misinformation and lies. And as you can tell, I reckon it's um, it's lies and misinformation for profit. Yes, which is what we're not about. Dave, this is outstanding news. And I think we can chalk that up as a little victory. Well done, sir. Excellent. And uh, just because I haven't plugged anything for at least a week, um, mm-hmm. as of this morning, I've got an article coming out on a website called theconversation.com. Uh, it's called From Scourge to Saviour, Using Viruses to Treat Serious Disease. And it's actually uh, a piece written for the general public, and it's about the viral vectors and sort of the viruses that um, I work on and, and what I want to do with them and some of the possibilities, including... There's a, a nice little uh, couple-of-minute movie about how they've used these viruses to actually treat cancer in an eight-year-old girl and save her life. So uh, just check that out. That's amazing. Send me through the link. I'll put it in the episode notes. No worries. Thanks very much. Take care, Dave. Bye. Hey, guys. David Smalley here from Dogma Debate Radio to tell you about an exciting new offer. We have some free audiobooks to give away. That's right. Dogma Debate owns AtheistAudiobooks.com and we've partnered with Audible.com as our distributor. So we are giving away a free audiobook to anyone who signs up as a premium member on login.dogmadebate.com from now through Wednesday, March 26th. Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me, it's that time of the month, the religious turban. Uh, tourist, how are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, t- well, waking up, as we discussed off air, and uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. By the end of this, your your job is to wake me up with some amusing anecdotes. of. Uh, I, pr- what- I promised you three. three. You did. You did. You sent me a, a message that said you had three funny things to talk to me about, and that's three more than usual. So I'm looking forward to it. That should be good fun. So just for everyone who's playing along at home, you are now a Sikh or were just a Sikh? Just, just finished. finished. For, for a month as a Sikh? Yes, I finished my month as a Sikh, and now I'm a spiritualist. Yes, well, we'll get to that, because I think that's a cop-out, but... Um, Why is it a cop You think yeah. everything's a cop-out? No, well, okay, let's talk about being a Sikh then. How many times right. did... You, you had a turban. You did post a photo of you wearing a turban. <laughs> I did, yeah. yeah. How, how much use did the turban get? A little, a little use. Um, mm. it's, it's, the, the problem is, I don't want anyone really work-life... I don't want anyone to know that this is what I'm doing because I might get fired. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously that's that's a separate thing. Oh, well, but, um, the good news the is that no is one listens to this show, so your, your secret's no safe. No one does. This is, mm. <laughs> this is just a recorded conversation between me and you mm-hmm. that we can use as evidence later on. Mm-hmm. So you were a Sikh. Yes. What, what, what's involved? It's um, very few rituals. Um, in fact, none, I've been told. Um, it, it was a Sikhism was like a, a branch of Hinduism, and it came about when uh, they didn't like the caste system. Right. So uh, the caste system, of course, for um, for those is the the way of saying that um, how how humans are born. Some are higher and some are lower, and so forth. Like the like the class system we have now, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Koch brothers, and then everyone else. Pretty much, mm. yeah. <laughs> are you a fan of the Cohen brothers? Co- Cohen Coke Coke brothers. Yes. Who are they? 
they're the blokes who run um, the US. Well, basically run the US. They <laughs> they have their interests in about a bajillion different businesses. I thought that was Ronald McDonald. All right, we'll go with him. The joke would have been funnier oh. with him. All right. All right. Do you, do you want to start again? Yeah, it might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, amusing anecdote number one. What happened? Okay. Well, I went to buy my turban, and I was all I was all set. It was. Uh, Obviously, I, I wore a, a hat for Judaism, so but that's my first hat of um, of these religious tours. So I went onto Amazon and bought a turban. Now you'd be surprised how little um, turbans are available because obviously they're mainly just wrapped around. So buying ready-made um, turbans is hard. It's like a clip-on tie. Oh, um, for those that don't know how to actually do a turban. So you didn't so actually I, get like the proper material and fashion one yourself as a Sikh would. I'll tell you why it's impossible. Um, I don't have enough hair. The reason it sticks up is because, as one of the uh, one of the, one of the tenders of a Sikh is not cutting your hair, so it grows continuously, and then you wrap the turban around the hair, and that's what gives it its fluffy look. Right. But having not a lot of hair, I'm not bald, but you know, not mm. I've not got years worth. Um, <laughs> my ready-made turban came, and uh, so I, I posted it so everyone could see that I bought it, mm-hmm. and then um, savvy viewer Anthony at Misanthropy pointed out that I'd in fact bought a girl's turban. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a good point. <laughs> so, told, so, I didn't even look. So he the, told me there was five reviews, <laughs> and he said four of them were from women saying that they'd, <laughs> that they'd bought it when they were going through chemotherapy. Oh. <laughs> and the only other review was just saying, this is a shit turban. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I just looked like a woman going through chemotherapy, unfortunately. Oh, dear. In essence, it's designed to sort of arrange some sort of baking system on the top of the cranium. Uh, yes. like, like a tagine, yeah. perhaps. So you have <laughs> yeah. all your hair sort of put up the top and then for this month-long ferment that takes place. Yes. Yes, that's what happens. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, a woman's turban, what... What do you intend to do with it now? I'm, I'm coming up to 3,000 followers. Maybe we, um, when I get 3,000, I'll give away the, the turban. As some sort of rock star just arrangement. Just to get rid of it. Throw, just to get rid of it. <laughs> where you throw you know, your jeans or something into the audience after it's got the gentle aroma of religious tea. My jeans, do you mean sperm or what? do you mean trousers? No, I wouldn't do that. Well, maybe some people are into that. I mean, we've got a weird audience. <laughs> you especially. <laughs> The only audience. <laughs> mm, okay, so that might be um, auctioned off for charity or given to somebody going through chemotherapy or just given away to somebody at random just to get rid of it. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. It's, it's, there, it's there for the taking is essentially what it is. Did you, did you go to a church or... I the, did. No, yeah? I did. I've been a few times. Uh, the first time I went, um, I, I checked online, obviously, to see if there was one within um, 200 feet of where I live. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily, there was no, it wasn't much further, so it was okay. I sent them an email saying I was be popping along, and they said, "Oh, that's fine. Everyone's welcome." So I got there. Yeah, it was just a room and people reading, and uh, that's fine. So I kind of hung around outside. What I do when I'm not really sure what to say to people or what to do is I always read their notice board, so it looks <laughs> like I'm engaging. Mm-hmm. And um, both here and the mosque, because it's kind of publicly run. Mm-hmm. They just have a list of all their expenditures. So I visited myself looking at that like some kind of financial pervert. And one of those expenditures was clearly an internet account to get to get emails. Turban maintenance. Did you take your turban there? 
Did I take my turban? I did. And yeah. they had, um, back at the synagogue as well, they had a, a box full of uh, turbans if you'd like to borrow a better one. But they were just like pirate bandanas. Oh. So, um, yeah. So, what, not, these not the guys were even doing a bit of a cop-out? Even they weren't great, yeah. Oh. The, the, the people in charge, they were full. You know, uh, you know, ten years' worth of hair on top, um, surrounded by fabric. Hmm. But um, I, I kind of waited at the door and someone rushed over saying some language that I didn't particularly understand. <laughs> So I, I very, you know, my very nice, kind and you know, enthusiastic way told them what I was doing and um, that I would love to find out a little bit about their culture and their religion, their faith. And uh, I've come along to find out more. And they just said, I don't understand you. Um, I can't talk to you. Come back at six. So that's fine. It's like, <laughs> this is great. I can't remember what it is. Oh, it's like Family Guy, something like that, where he's talking to this person who um, is Spanish. And he just goes, uh, I'm afraid I don't actually um, speak any English. And he went, oh, really? But that's really good. He goes, no, 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 I just, I just speak that one sentence. And, of course, the sentence explaining that I can't actually speak English. <laughs> I just learned that one. Mm-hmm. And he goes, are you, are you serious? And he goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it was a bit like that. It was like they'd learned three sentences. And then everything I said after, she just went, I don't understand you. Hmm. Come back at six. Went, Come back at six. And so when you went back at six, were you there just in time to see them locking up? It, there was no one there. <laughs> so i made a date with someone and i just said can i come back and they said yeah come back on saturday so so i did he wasn't there so, <laughs> so i met someone else they've got stuff running all the way through the day it's it's like it's, it's a really good thing they've got q and a's and stuff like that so they've got stuff running all the time uh, so i met one guy who took me through there they've got a Sikh museum so i went through and learned all about their um six holocausts that they've been through oh, um, since they since it's one of the newest it is probably the newest big religion hmm. um if we're not if we're not taking scientology as a as a as well a no we can't discount that no i've done it we can't can we so no. <laughs> um so yeah they talked about the six holocaust took me around the museum and uh yeah I, I spoke a little bit about what he kind of did and he was telling me all about the history of sikhism and it's it's quite interesting it's um the only religion as far as i'm aware that is built on a um, idea of equality, completely throughout. So women, women can wear term- turbans as well. This is women can wear turbans. Yeah, women can do what they want. Everyone, everyone is in the church together, celebrating the work of their ten early gurus uh, from the from the fourteen hundred uh, from the sixteen hundred. Sorry, it's um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. What god do they worship? They worship one, and it is a god that they you can't see. It, it's the same omnipotent omnipresent kind of the kind of god those kind of things yeah and i asked him i said um what kind of what is the what is god to you and he considered it for a moment and i thought that was quite sweet because usually someone's got an answer straight oh, off yeah. but he considered it he just said to me god is god is sound god is in the sound and when we listen to when we listen to the <laughs> come world back we're, we're, <laughs> come back at six come back at six god is sound okay well god that- is in the sound i thought that was quite beautiful it's very and, poetic, um, but it's it equally non-explanatory as well, of usual. Course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it achieves nothing. And sound is again but, uh, something you can't see, something you can't touch. <laughs> no. You can no. sort of feel it if someone's yelling at you. <laughs> it's not very godly. It's not great godly, but no, it's lovely. And uh, yeah, he was talking about how uh, it was built on equality, and the, the six holocaust came mainly from fighting for either their own identity. Or fighting for fighting for other identities to be taken as equal as well. And I thought that's they, they join in any fight where they see injustice, really. And I think that's quite a quite a beautiful thing. And um, well, that's yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So there were six holocausts. Six holocausts. Yeah. Talk me through it. What did you learn? 
Well, um, obviously one of them was during the one they joined in during World War Two was one of them. Uh, they weren't actually Holocaust themselves, uh, sorry, uh, part of genocide themselves, but they did fight against it. Uh, there was one in the early break away from Hinduism. Um, they were allowed their own identity for a small amount of time, mm. but um, because they were uh, a direct opposition to Hinduism, there was a bit of scuffling scuffling at that point and that came from because their religion was founded on the, the kind of dismissal of all these rituals that Hinduism did he told me of a great story how uh, he said the, the original uh, the original guru whose name is um, unpronounceable give, <laughs> no, 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 no 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 give it a, give it a go really mm-hmm. oh god let me see if I can find the spelling of it talk to much yourselves <laughs> come back at six guys come back at six <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I'll tell you anyway. So uh, he said, yeah, the, uh, the Hindus were uh, offering water to uh, the sun. That was a, the, the sun was their god at that point. The sun was the, uh, the, the incarnation of one of their, uh, of their gods. So mm-hmm. offering water to that. And uh, the guru turned around and um, offered water completely the opposite direction, to which all the uh, Hindu leaders asked, what the, what the Jolly Roger was he doing? And he said that um, I'm offering um, water to my garden. And they, which was like twenty miles away or some kind of uh, some kind of distance, and uh, they asked, "That's that's nonsense. If you're offering water to your to your garden that's twenty miles away." And he said, "Well, you're offering water to the sun, and that's many miles away. So I've probably got more chance than you." Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of pointed out the um, the silliness of all these rituals and how statues aren't important; they're not necessary. They take away from from you know the the real things that are important in life, like um, which is basically meditation which is oh uh, right okay <laughs> so we almost uh, I sort of expect you to turn around there and say oh mm, yeah guys atheism that's where it's at but no it's it's all about the meditation i did ask them when we got to atheism but they were saying how um they obviously treat everyone the same they said you know every religion's welcome in in this in this building um we we cater for everyone everyone is a brother and sister under god and their own rituals bring them closer to god if it's something that's personal and and you know important to them that mm. that helps mm. to enlighten them so we've got no beef with that it's just it's not for us and i said so what do you think about those that have no god that, that don't believe in a god and he kind of said we just we see them as innocents as people who are yet to who are, who are you yet to listen is the, the kind of way you put it so you go okay that's not that's not too bad i'll, I'll get along with that but mm. then he did suddenly go we don't hate them <laughs> you know the point where you've not asked yeah and like, <laughs> i didn't I didn't say, do you hate them? We said, yeah, straight out. I, I never let on that that's exactly the kind of place I was coming from. But you do get this idea that um, that atheism, people seem to think that we have to live with kind of boundaries that are up from um, from, from above. And there's there's almost no, no. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of a word. Can you think of it? Can you think of it for me? Well, I've been trying to carry this whole conversation. I can't do everything. <laughs> <laughs> Just carry this one last word. What is it where they trust? Oh, yeah, no trust. That's someone. No trust. No trust in the human condition. Can you edit this? <laughs> no, no, I think that one might go through. <laughs> I forgot a word that you learn when you're five. <laughs> yeah. Fucking disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's like no trust in the human condition that you have to have rules and not rules so much, but boundaries. There has mm. to be set boundaries because without them, God knows what would be. God knows what we'll do. And I found that quite sad that even though he like each his own kind of thing and he sees him sees him as innocent, he I think he did see people without a god as living quite a quite an unrealistic and maybe immoral life. Mm. And it it's one of the core tenets of religion, really. 
you know, you, we can't have people discrediting us. So mm. the best way to do it is to build your following to just simply not accept that yeah. those those people can't be good without, without God. You've kind of dashed around the point here a little. Have you got his name to pronounce yet? <laughs> it's Guru Nanak, I think. Guru Nanak. Well, that wasn't hard. Well, I forgot it, so I made up something that it was hard to pronounce. So <laughs> I could find it. <laughs> Is that really his no, name? I got, I got confused with a book that he wrote. It was a scripture. It was the Guru Granth Sahib. It's like Granith or something. Right. Granth. Granith <laughs> Benchtop. Sahib. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of noise. <laughs> right. Now, that's two amusing anecdotes. Do we have to come back at six for the third? <laughs> Damn, have I got a third? Uh, you said three. So, the come back at six, that was on. That mm-hmm. was one. The mm-hmm. the girl hat. Mm-hmm. That was two. Did you nearly I die? Did I nearly die? No, of course not. No. Oh. No, I did. Meditating is quite lovely. Mm-hmm. Um I know this might be a, I don't know, a point of contention amongst those that um, have no kind of God and uh, ritualistic um, kind of practices, but meditation, uh, and the more I've read into it, the more it's kind of, you can find peer-reviewed studies on meditation that are shown to, in some cases, improve your memory and critical thinking skills and um, logic by about 50% in just eight weeks. Oh, it sounds like you've been reading Deepak's manual. No, this is not Deepak. This is this is peer-reviewed science. <laughs> I promise I, you. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think there's benefits to meditation for what it is. It allows you to clear your mind, think mm. things through, plan the day, chill, try and yeah. remember what happened in last night's TV episode. What did happen? I, I don't know. I didn't watch it. Oh, right. Mm. But, uh, yeah, no, there, there are benefits, demonstrable benefits to meditation. But I think that's so. to meditation, so. not to let's do some meditation coupled with some prayer. Hmm. Well, that's it. I asked him. Um, I asked him what he did when he was meditating. So there's like different, obviously different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, meditating. Are you just silent? Are you? Is it you control breathing? Is it uh, like a mantra or something like that? And I asked him uh, what he kind of did when he uh, when he meditated. He said that um, I asked if he prayer if he said a prayer or something like that. And he said he didn't see the point of saying a prayer because as far as he was concerned, it was talking over God. I thought that was lovely. <laughs> what amazing! <laughs> but what an amazing image. If God just keep trying to get a word in Edgeway. Just, <laughs> He's just going, just Shh. dickheads praying at him. Shh. Just <laughs> Shh. <laughs> shut up and trying to speak. <laughs> it was it was good. It was a good month, as far as I can tell. Sikhs are incredibly accepting. When people say they fight for equality, I, I don't think there's any doubt with the with other with other religions. I've seen that there is just not at all. But with mm. Sikhism, absolutely. Mm. Um, and well, it's I, yeah, I've learned stuff. Have you really? Yes, I've learned stuff from you. Is this a first? Mm, no, no, I always learn stuff. I've learned that, you know, Sikhism is actually really quite different to a lot of the other stuff you've done. I was um, honestly expecting it to be a little more uh, Islamic, but that's again, just it's me making crass generalizations in my brain. I think it is, yeah. Mm. But that, no, it's nice to learn something. Yeah, no, it's um, very open, very um, religion built on equality, absolutely built on it. Mm-hmm. It's instead of rituals, it's boundaries. Like we, you set yourself boundaries, so it's um, you know no materialism. It's but yet you must own a turban. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have to be good quality. It can be. It can be. It can be a recovered cancer patient's hat. Oh. <laughs> Is that oh, too dear. far? Yes. Well, I don't know. I was I did, about. Yeah. I was about I to take it a step further, and I think I'm kind of glad I 
reeled myself back in. <laughs> uh, so next month you've got spiritualism. Spiritualism, yeah. I'm quite excited. I've started already. Done a week. It's um, Well, we're, we're actually had... recording this by Cosmic Facts at the moment. We're actually, we're actually doing mm. that. I, I got a reply from Deepak Chopra. <laughs> yes. He said, ha ha. <laughs> He laughed. He laughed at something I said. I was well happy. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Pr- that's the most sense I think he's ever made. It's true. <clears throat> Someone put underneath. So I, I offered peer-reviewed... I offered peer-reviewed facts that refute what he says, mm. um, and he blocked me. You take the piss and he laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's that's the mistake I made. Oh, did he block you? Oh, yes, I was blocked by Deepak many, many moons ago. It was a while ago, but I saw some tweets that looked like he was going to be coming onto your show. Yes. Then I let it slip. Because basically the premise of it was, come onto my show and explain to me what cosmic consciousness is. Demonic consciousness. And, you know, while we were mucking around, because he was coming to Australia as part of the Whirlwind Tour. I think he was Justin Bieber's backup dancer, but I can't confirm (laughs) or deny that. But by the time he got here, I, one night I just had a few beers and sort of broke character because I was always just questioning, oh, I don't quite get this, I don't quite get this, or what you just said doesn't make sense to me. And then I just unleashed and said, just sounds like waffle <laughs> or something <laughs> along those lines. And at that point oh. he cottoned, cottoned on that... Uh, you were taking the piss. He cottoned on that perhaps he was going to get nowhere with me because I don't thrive on poorly defined terms. But that's not completely true. You've you've talked to people in the past that you've stayed open with and you know, you've you've not just tried to speak over them, you've always listened to what they said, you've always given them an open forum. It might not wash of you and you've always said that's something that I don't think I'll ever understand. Mm. I don't think you've ever been um, dismissive or you know, rude in any yes, kind of sense. But those people are people who aren't trying to sell something themselves. Whereas, you know, they, mm. they don't really have anything to gain other than more friends if they can convert more people. Deepak has a different motive. I suppose. Hmm. So, yes. What about Joe, though? Uh, he's selling books. Is he? <laughs> not, not selling, he's is writing. He, is he, though? <laughs> Joe, well, oh, he's, but he's, I don't know, sneezing on pieces of paper. <laughs> Joe, look, Joe, if you're listening, um, you're a lovely guy. No, lovely guy. <laughs> to be honest, he came across all right on that. There's, he, he has about a million conversations on Twitter, so I can understand why they're just short and hmm. um, not quite, not quite coherent. Mm. But you know, with with half an hour of um, time, mm. he, it was long and not quite coherent. <laughs> so yes, you're right. It was absolutely completely different. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fair enough. But uh, Joe, you're welcome back on any time when you when you publish your book. Give me a call. Come on. Talk me through it. So, spiritualism. Back to that nonsense. Yes. What's involved? Well, broadly speaking, it's a belief in kind of the afterlife and ghosts and um, the everlasting existence of the soul and the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's not necessarily reincarnation, mm-hmm. but I'm not entirely sure how it differs yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked someone. I think the answer back was crystals. Ah, yes. <laughs> See, my my grandmother is spiritual. I called her up for a birthday the other day. She's in a nursing home and she said, I want to talk about God with you. And I thought, oh, no. Because when we were growing up, they were always having these meditation meetings and people would come over and 
they'd bless crystals and sprinkle water and fairy dust and, and whatever. And I said, Grandma, I don't think there is a God. And she said, oh, no, 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 there's no God, but there's spirits. And there's this and there's that. And, and one time I experienced X, Y, Z. I couldn't sleep. I hadn't slept in four days. And then all of a sudden these three spirits appeared before me and, and told me what I had to do. And, and they told me everything was going to be okay. I was so scared, but I shouldn't have been scared. And I said, Grandma, after four days of not sleeping is the only explanation <laughs> spirits. Is that all it could have been? Or could it be that after four days of not sleeping, human beings don't process information very well and can become delusional? He said, oh, you didn't experience it. I was there. I experienced it. Well, yeah, who am I to, who am I to dispute that? I mean, other yeah. than using <clears throat> reality and <laughs> other studies that show this sort of stuff to be nonsense. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you can agree that she thought she saw that. Well, that, that's it. Matt Dillahunty. her interpretation of it. Yeah, Matt Dillahunty pointed that out. He said, I have no reason to disbelieve what you feel you experienced. However, how can I know that that's true as well? How can we... I realise where I've just pilfered that from. It was him on the show, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I pilfer everything from all the guests on this show. I'm not, I was a blank slate. so deep. It's all, it's all stolen. It's yeah. All stolen. There's only so many different ways you can recycle other people's material and put it on Twitter exactly. to say, mm, <laughs> in, 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 yeah, yeah, there's probably no God. Flat out word for word. <laughs> okay, so but, um, it, it, yeah. are you getting together with other spiritualists or are you having a seance, getting been. together with some, uh, yeah? Already, what? Been. already been faith healed. Ah, okay, what what did you have? It's not helped, I still can't get an erection. Hmm? <laughs> oh, um, I'll edit that out. Yeah, no, well, maybe. See that... <laughs> Did you go in there when, before the faith, he faith healing and say, oh, I've got um, something really obscure, like a, a, a busted fuffle valve in my heart. It's, it's busted. And no, then I went get, in, get faith um, healed and then walk out. And claim that I you're was, okay, or did you did you get wheeled in in a wheelchair? See, that's a winner. <laughs> when they wheel you in, and then they sprinkle the snake oil on you, and then they they pray, and then all of a sudden you'd leap out of the chair and say, "I'm religious tea, and my legs are working again, and I've been waiting to go ballroom dancing." <laughs> so I enter the room of Stephen Hawking, leave as Michael Phelps, <laughs> <laughs> oh, or at least halfway there, get him up to an Oscar Pistorius. Oh, 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 no. Oh, yeah, not, this, is, this isn't the right time to bring him up. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Golly gosh. All right, so you tell, tell us about the experience you had with those people. Uh, well, I, went, I was really embarrassed, genuinely embarrassed, because um, I, I thought it was going to be like a big group, because the, the church had been there for years, and I thought, you know, it would. No, about eight, and four of them couldn't walk. Oh, now, that no. would tell me something. <laughs> if I'd been going to Fayfield week after week, mm -hmm. and I still couldn't, still couldn't walk. Well, if they can't walk, that. perhaps they never left. <laughs> Possibly. They're the original congregation. <laughs> oh, dear. So, uh, yeah, I got Fayfield by a man. And, uh, of what, though? What, what did you claim your... your I didn't say I had was. anything wrong with me. Um, <sighs> he just said, what kind of thing are you looking to go for and so i just said um well it's, it's my first time erectile dysfunction so, you know, mm. be gentle erectile <laughs> dysfunction be gentle he said okay well i think he took that as well, you just want your soul cleansed or something like that and you know who doesn't colonic consciousness um, hmm. colonic consciousness 
all over the floor. consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> so we just said, okay, well, this is this is contact healing. So I am going to be putting my um, hands on parts of your body. Jump a lead. Obviously, nowhere inappropriate. And I just said, well, that's a shame. <laughs> He's lost. Nothing. <laughs> just pulled my trousers back up. Well, mm-hmm. If that's the kind of meeting we're at. He just stood with his hands on my shoulders for 10 minutes. I, I had a couple of songs in my head. <laughs> so I was, I was just singing to myself to let the time go. I was genuinely, for the first couple of minutes, I thought I was worried that I would feel something. I was worried that I would feel like a warmth because these people have been coming back from um, their their visit with the chap, and one of one of the women was in tears. She just said, "Saying I just felt there was someone else there with me, and I could feel multiple hands on me and stuff like that." And um, I just thought, "What? What if I feel something? What? What? No, I didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing. Nothing. So perhaps that you weren't primed quite enough for confirmation bias to." Oh, yeah, it was definitely my fault. Mm. Yeah. Weren't trying <laughs> so, hard enough. They do um, a spiritualist service as well, like a, 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 a genuine church service that has um, mediums. So I'm going to go to that. You'll be like the medium rare, like the, <laughs> the new kid on the block. <laughs> Possibly. Mm. Possibly. You know, there was somebody else on the 24-hour podcast-a-thon and spoke to uh, Jerry DeWitt about... A gentleman by the name of Pastor Ryan Bell, and he's a, a pastor in the US who's decided to do the exact opposite of what you're doing. He's decided to be an atheist for one year. I know him. I know him. I spoke to him. You spoke to him? Yeah. Wow. How? He's, uh, uh, he, I, I found him right at the start of his, um, start of the, his project. It yeah. was, it, God, it must have been three or four days in. Yeah. And where in four days he'd lost four jobs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I, retweeted his fundraiser a couple of times to try and get him a year's salary so he could you know tool along and carry on his project because i don't think anyone should leave lose four jobs just for <laughs> trying non-belief for a year it or, seems or, or a life you know, even <laughs> yeah it seems relatively harsh mm. so um yeah i spoke to him he's a he's a lovely chap i i, I felt a bit bad because um i this is going to sound really harsh um you can edit this out maybe mm-hmm. um <laughs> this is going to sound really harsh but um you know you had um atheist mel and yes. Mr. Ozafius having a Twitter debate mm. and about how to run their Twitter account, about how um, Atheist Mel doesn't, necess- doesn't quote people anymore. Mm. Um, well, that, that really resonated with me. And, um, you know, at the, at the start when I had 100 followers or something like that, it was negligible. I was doing it for my own enjoyment, really. Mm-hmm. And then after, you know, when you hit a couple of thousand, everything you do, someone jumps on it. Mm. And you have these people who've got like 50 followers who've only just joined Twitter who said something demonstrably silly, <laughs> but had no idea it would reach that many people. And they just they just get people jumping on them. Mm. Well, a similar thing happened with um, this pastor. He, he tweeted what he wanted. I've been talking to him a bit and just a genuinely nice guy. I said I was doing the opposite and, you know, I was I was coming to the end. So I'd be genuinely interested to either chat to him over email or um, Skype or something like that and find out how he's getting on and swap stories and so forth. Mm. So I thought I'd give him some promotion. He's got about 70 followers at the time, so mm. I promoted him. And about 30 people just jumped on him and started saying that, you know, he's a fraud, he's a nonsense. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I just had to tweet, I had to DM and say, I'm genuinely sorry. <laughs> I, I thought what you were doing was interesting and I thought people would be interested as well. I had no idea that would happen. It just went, oh, well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a problem. Oh, well, so, yeah, I'd love, see, so I'd love to have him on the show with you. I think that'd be great. I think I could, that would I be good fun. Yeah, make it happen. I'll have a go. Hmm.
Hmm. Yeah. He's had a he's had a very tough about. run. A very tough run. Yeah. It, well, I I genuinely thought people would be interested in that, but mm. um, I think I, I, I think I, perhaps I guess, people have miss. Maybe they didn't read the bio. Maybe they didn't know enough about his backstory. But often people just look at their their bio and see pastor, and then they go right. <laughs> they clap their hands, go. rub them together, and go, "It's game on." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm. and to be honest, I can't disagree. I was that exact person um, mm. a, a few months ago. That's exactly what I would have done. Mm. I look forward to that discussion. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll try and get him on the show. Well, religious tea, try not to die. Don't get reverse faith healed because that would be counterintuitive. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good luck uh, auctioning off the turban for, I don't know, women's chemo charities. <laughs> Send it back home. I think that's probably, y- you might get some action with that. I think that's what I've got to do, isn't it? Mm. All right. Yep. Yep. Game on. We'll do it. Game on. <laughs> very well, religious right. turban. Thank you very much for coming on. Take care. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Herd mentalists, hear me. Thank you very much to everybody who supports the show. There's a, there's a lot of you now. We're up about 90 tithers contributing anywhere between two and in some cases twenty dollars a month which really goes a long way towards paying bills and and paying me for my time so the more the merrier thank you very much ten percent of everything that i get goes to kiva.org to help women in developing countries we're moving up in the world we've achieved a lot in 50 episodes from a very basic mic to a reasonably professional audio setup now the work that we've done for Iman, so at One Godless Woman, we achieved $12,300 in funds raised to help her out. And if you'd like to listen back to that, that's episodes 10, 40, and 41. We've done something really good there. The show, I think, has done some good things for education. Every time I interview somebody, I learn something. And I'd like to think that the people who tune in learn stuff as well. And finally, a big thank you to all the guests who have made it possible by offering their time and their genius in coming on to talk about their fields of expertise or their experiences. I really do appreciate it. Herd Mentalists, take care.